everyone, and welcome to this episode of Digital Journeys. Today on our show, we will have Jim Holman and Anthony Pember. Jim and Anthony are both directors in our digital advisory practice. They are going to discuss how data can help higher education make better decisions. So without delay, I'll turn it over to Jim. Thanks, Jerry, for the intro. And now let's get started with Anthony Pember. Anthony, with regards to how data can benefit colleges and universities, what uh, challenges and barriers exist for traditional colleges and universities in becoming more data-driven? Thanks, Jim. Um, interesting question. I think there are a lot of challenges these days um, for, for institutions, both colleges, community colleges, as well as traditional universities. Um, I've seen a number in, in different institutions, a couple that come uh, highest into mind. Uh, available expertise is one. So I often find that universities either don't have the personnel who have the skills, or if they do have the personnel who have skills to, to help with data-driven decisions, they are already consumed with something else. So I think that's one of the challenges that a lot of institutions have, particularly the smaller institutions. Um, I think another another challenge is the business model, higher education business model. Um, so, so there are many aspects of higher education that are inherently difficult to manage and measure. So, for example, how do you how do you measure research efficiency um, or teaching efficiency? Um, and because of these these difficulties in measuring some of the things in higher education, I think it's difficult to find data and information that can be used to make more informed decisions. Uh, particularly data-driven decisions. Um, that being said, I, I, I still think that there are plenty of opportunities available for higher education to, to take advantage of. It's just um, sometimes difficult for them because of their business model to find the right information to help drive decisions with, with data. Um, and then the other one I think is data availability. Uh, I would say that most institutions I've worked with have lots and lots of data. Um, so so I think it's it's probably more of a perception of data availability. A lot of institutions think their data is really poor um, and and you know that they can't use that data to help drive decisions. My experience is it's actually the opposite, but but my you know my experience is is um, less important here. It's the perception of the institution who thinks that they don't have good data. And so they they're creating a challenge that they then have to overcome to convince the constituents within the institution that their data is useful, is helpful, and can be used to, to drive decisions and become more data-driven. Um, even if it is good, it's the perception uh, that's causing the problem here. So it's interesting. So it's a mixture of a higher education business model that essentially is a bit nebulous and hard to understand and manage. But then you also, you mentioned uh, smaller entities and community colleges perhaps there's opportunity costs where they just don't have the resources to be able to manage their data, yet alone produce uh, analytics. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So given that there are also compliance-driven metrics, so mandates for uh, educational entities, universities, community colleges, they're required by state and local governments um, to produce certain types of metrics and analytics. Do you see that there's potentially competition between the resources that have to produce compliance-driven metrics, which are mandated versus ones perhaps that they want to do? Absolutely, yeah. I think the answer to that is is yes. Um, 
I've I've seen a lot of institutions where, as I said earlier, the bandwidth uh, is is pretty difficult. You've got people who are um, already taxed in terms of being able to create analytics and data and use data um, to to drive decisions, and they're busy having to 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 check a box, uh, and then maybe that's the wrong word, but check a box to to fill in a compliance metric of some sort, um, whether that be state, local, or or even federal in some cases. Um, so that lack of bandwidth, I think, um, creates a creates a capacity issue uh, for for many institutions. Um, in, a, in an ideal world, I think that uh, institutions that the required metrics would also be useful for the institution to manage internally. I, I know um, the state of Florida, for example, has some really interesting metrics that they collect uh, and they require institutions to to provide, and they use it to help develop uh, or deliver funding to the institution. So they're looking at effectiveness of, of educational delivery. There are some challenges with those metrics. Uh, and I don't necessarily want to go into those metrics right now, but I have seen Florida institutions use some of those metrics internally, um, as well as using them to report centrally to, to Florida, which is the ideal situation. So that you, you know, they're able to be used internally as well as externally. But I think in most cases, the the metrics that they're being asked to provide, you know, at state to the state or to the federal government aren't necessarily ones they can use to internally manage. Uh, and that's when you suddenly start to get a, a bandwidth issue. Yeah, it's interesting that you talk about uh, the, the competition for resources, the bandwidth, which is the uh, the professionals, the data professionals that are able to uh, produce the content. Ultimately, they have to do what they're required to do, and only then can they do what they would perhaps like to do. The thing that makes me think about the resource constraints is what you said earlier, given that how many of these universities have data and analytics degree offerings? And should colleges and universities consider data in ways they aren't already or perhaps consider resources that are non-traditional within their own uh, degree programs? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's interesting, right? It's it's the plumber always has the worst bathroom and the builder has the worst house, right? Because they're too busy doing other people's stuff to, to focus on their own. Uh, it's sort of similar here, right, where you've got degrees that are that are offering data analytics, data science degrees. You've got a, a load of students and uh, both undergraduate and graduate who have a lot of expertise in this. I've seen I've seen a lot of institutions um, have a lot of a lot of data science, data analytics programs. Um, and, and I don't think that they're necessarily using that pool of resources they have, whether undergraduate or postgraduate students or even faculty members um, to help drive internal analytics um, and and help them internally use data and analytics to drive their the, you know the business of the university or the institution um, I have seen a few examples where they do it I, I had one particular client that I was doing some work with uh, on cost and revenue analytics and they actually employed a postgraduate student to do a lot of the building of, of reports, building of um, dashboards and the resultant analysis. Uh, and that was really, really effective because this student was, was getting a lot of experience in real world business uh, analytics. Uh, and so it was helpful for them from an experience perspective and from a degree perspective, but it was immensely useful to the institution to have a, a person who knew not just the institution, but new analytics to enable them to, to really you know, push the analytics program further. Um, in terms of, of data um, and different ways of, of 
data that they should be considering. Uh, you know, I, I think I, I probably put it into a, a couple of buckets um, that, that I think that they could use, and particularly if they use students to help them understand the data. Um, things like longitudinal data. So by that meaning um, collecting data that goes beyond um, the institution or precedes the institution. So collecting things like student success um, post-graduation. So how are students, what, what salaries are students um, getting post-graduation and being able to track that at the student level so you can measure the effectiveness of the, the degree program um, to, to a certain extent. Uh, or measuring or getting information prior to coming into the institution about uh, GPAs at high school and SAT scores and collating that to the student to be able to predict whether or not or use it to predict whether or not students of a certain uh, type would be able to be successful in programs that they're enrolled in. Um, all the way through to other non-institutional data like demographics, census information, uh, job information in the in the immediate area around the institution to be able to understand um, whether the the current whether there's demand for current or future programs. Uh, it's a bit like the the Internet of Things, um, but for institutions where if you're collecting non-institutional data, you can you can combine it with your institutional data to start to get a, a, a more enhanced understanding of the programs that you're offering and how mission centric they are and whether or not it's actually going to be beneficial to both the institution and the surrounding community. Um, and then the, the the other one that is is fairly obvious, but is a bit of a uh, a bit ignored, I think, is combining their existing data more effectively. Uh, there's a lot of information in institutions already from student data to financial data to uh, research data, etc. Um, but most of the institutions I've worked with really struggle to pull it together effectively. Most institutions have an institutional research uh, department which which focuses on doing some of that work, um, but they often just pull in student information and it relates to reporting some of those required metrics that that they needed that are needed to be reported on. Very few of them start to pull non-student related data, financial data, and combine them all together. Um, but if they do that, uh, institutions suddenly get more meaningful information. So for example, if you're pulling uh, program information and student information about a degree uh, without the financial perspective, it's it's hard when you're doing a program review to understand the, the real impact of that program. Is it making money? Is it losing money? Um, how effective is it at, at uh, delivering for the student? Uh, so being able to combine different sets of data within an, within an institution, I think, is really helpful. Um, and it's it's a fairly obvious one, but one that's surprisingly difficult to do. Yeah, that's uh, very interesting. I would say that most people would not think that a public institution would consider whether a program makes money, but certainly understanding the cost side of the equation is something that's probably been a little closer than understanding that the money coming in and the money going out needs to line up. Um, based on that thought, Anthony, how would you uh, suppose that universities, colleges, community colleges might use data to improve the financial health and stability of the entity itself. Yes, yeah, so it's, it's interesting, Jim. Um, I, I was talking to a CFO, this was several years ago, uh, actually at an Australian university, who said, um, we may be not for profit, but that doesn't mean we're for loss. 
Uh, and and it's a good statement to, to keep in mind, even when you're talking about a public nonprofit institution, you, you don't need every program to make money. In fact, you expect programs to lose money in many cases. Um, but but overall, when you look at all of your programs, you need to be making enough money so that you're financially sustainable. Um, and, and it's interesting, a lot of institutions measure this at the macro level. Um, so they'll know that that a program is is um, financially sustainable, particularly from a direct perspective. It's very it's relatively easy to be able to measure the the direct cost of faculty and and other things that are needed to support a program. Very few institutions do um, a really good analysis of the indirect costs, uh, and and those are the ones that are a little bit a little bit more tenuous, but they're important to keep, uh, you know, a firm grip on. The CFO is obviously very important with the indirect costs and the overall costs of the institution, but often a, a dean or a department chair doesn't really factor those in because there's very little that they can do to control those costs. Um, but it doesn't mean that it shouldn't be considered overall. So I think, you know, institutions need to start thinking about pulling in student information and combining it with financial information, both direct costs and indirect costs, to really be able to start to analyze what's driving those costs. Uh, not because you want to cut a program or get rid of a program, but because you need to understand. To enable to measure it, you need to be able to understand it, in my opinion. Thank you for uh, an enlightening conversation. It's always good to talk to you and uh... I learned quite a bit and enjoy the conversation and find myself drifting off topic quite a bit, uh, just enjoying the experience. So thank you very much, Anthony, for uh, for participating. No worries, Jim. It's, uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you and I enjoy it. So thank you. For the listeners out there, stay tuned for part two of this series. We'll look at how data can help with student success, as well as steps universities should consider when helping students with their career path. Thanks again, Jim and Anthony, for your insight today. Be sure to like and share this podcast and tune in again.